good afternoon everyone uh, thanks for joining today's call uh, this is the first call in investex mfi series uh, we have series of calls lined up uh, through the through the peak uh, microfinance sector has been severely impacted by covid 19 with most of the mfi customers availing moratorium uh, and has not been paying any installment for a couple of months uh, from the month of june uh, we are hearing that the collection trends have have improved materially and the initial the commentary from management has been quite encouraging uh, to discuss the current issues and its long term implication on microfinance sector we have mr sanjay sena managing director mkril and mr sudhir narayan executive director mkril uh, mr sena is a managing director of mkril a company uh, that provides uh, analytical and assessment services designed to support the improvement of the lives and livelihoods of low income families as part of this mission mkril also undertake financial and social ratings of uh, microfinance institutions and provides research and other analytical services designed to promote the flow of investments into inclusive financial services another key area of expertise is the analysis of value chains of relevance to poor people uh, sanjay has knowledge and experience of over two dozen countries and over 40 years of economic and development research experience he has been a un advisor on inclusive financial sectors uh, during the advisors group tenure 2006 to 2008 uh, sudhir so is egip mp from iim bangalore post graduate with specialization in statistics and taxation sudhir so has been in credit rating and grading business for past 20 years in several capacities uh, his key specializes specializations are in developing strategies ratings and analytics risk management practices capacity building product innovation and operational management he is instrumental in developing rating grading framework for microfinance institutions and smes and is currently working on developing robust uh, credit scoring methodologies for individual credit segment especially for microfinance institutions uh, i will be discussing uh, uh, three key areas uh, during the initial part of uh, this discussion and then we will open the floor for q and a the three key areas that i intend to uh, discuss uh, in the initial part are number one current liquidity position in the microfinance sector second structural changes in the microfinance sector because of covid 19 and third uh, any key trends which are emerging in india and other countries uh, in the microfinance sector so to start with our first uh, topic uh, uh, post moratorium 1.0 there has been a lot of confusion around moratorium Uh, because a lot of banks have uh, decided not to give moratorium to mf in the first round uh, while in turn microfinance institutions had to give moratorium to their entire customer base because they were not able to reach their customers uh, so this has created a lot of liquidity issues with the microfinance companies uh, many mfis especially the smaller ones uh, uh, have mentioned in the media that they will not be able to survive beyond 2 uh, uh, to 3 months uh, because of this uh, moratorium constraint Uh, post that uh, the RBI has announced a further moratorium, uh, which is now extended up to the month of August, uh, which may create further liquidity problems for microfinance institutions. So, sir, uh, uh, how do you see the current liquidity situation for MFIs, and uh, how is the microfinance customer behavior uh, in the second round of moratorium, uh, and uh, do you think uh, the the liquidity situation will further deteriorate uh, now going forward for the microfinance sector? how do we see the liquidity situation and what's the behavior of mfi customers uh 
I think um, uh, behavior is perhaps not the right expression. I think we should be uh, talking about uh, uh, what is the um, uh, how have the MFI customers responded to the situation at hand. Um, unfortunately, uh, people who are at the bottom of the pyramid, low-income families, they face uh, a very severe challenge at this point in time. Um, it's, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I've heard that uh, people are saying was, Amir log is rogue ko leke aaye, lekin uski wajah se halak gareeb ki kharaab ho gai. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind. It's not anyone's behavioral fault. It's the situation that has developed. And obviously, in the first uh, three months, uh, when in any case, uh, or in the at least in uh, uh, April and May, when in any case, uh, uh, MFI branches were not open, uh, people were, were not repaying, whether or not there was a moratorium would have made no difference. Uh, since the beginning of June, uh, we are hearing, as uh, Nidesh, uh, you yourself said, since the beginning of June, um, uh, as the branches have started to open, uh, many people have started to repay. But uh, we are hearing from uh, many sources that, of course, uh, people in rural areas, because uh, they uh, feel the effects of the, of the lockdown much less, uh, that they are in a better position to pay than people in urban areas. Uh, those in urban areas, uh, you know, with uh, the, or the constant threat of the police lati, uh, are unable to undertake their, their daily lives. Uh, so as a result, uh, obviously, uh, they are finding it much more difficult to repay. They are finding it difficult at this point in time where uh, liberalization in the lockdown is taking place they're finding it difficult to revive their businesses. So we have to keep all of these factors in mind. But I'm hearing from uh, many places, uh, and uh, Sudhir can add to this, but what we're hearing is that uh, 40, 50, 60% repayments have now, have now started, whereas earlier it was uh, uh, less than 10%. Uh, so naturally, the liquidity situation for MFIs is, is not good. Uh, the larger MFIs are clearly in a stronger position, but even for them, uh, the calculations that I have done uh, both for small finance banks and for large MFIs show that uh, they will need uh, a replenishment of capital equivalent to about 20 to 25% of their total funds. For, uh, for, uh, uh, for the larger small finance banks, this means funds of the order of 3,500 crores. Uh, for the large MFIs, it's uh, uh, between 500 and 1,500 crores. Uh, so um, while a few are in a position to survive even without substantial additional funds, uh, there are many that are not. And of course, with the small MFIs, uh, who may in fact only need 100 crores, 150 crores, the situation is dire. Uh, I think we are going to see 
many uh, MSIs collapsing, and uh, um, of course there may be some mergers and acquisitions, but uh, I think the, all the talk that there is of mergers and acquisitions is a little bit optimistic. Uh, I think particularly for small MFIs, this is not such a um, uh, uh, such a such a ready option uh, because uh, who wants to acquire a, a money losing small MFI, um, you know, and and have to have to replenish its its capital and so on. Um, so, Sudhir, if you have anything to add, please do. Yes. So, so uh, I got dropped. So I was able to hear you completely. Uh, thanks, Nidesh. Uh, basically, on the moratorium side, uh, uh, if uh, if I want to address what Sanjayji has said, uh, adding to that, uh, uh, the months of May, uh, April, May were challenging for all segments of NFIs. Uh, starting June or starting the lockdown started opening when uh, when the country started looking at uh, green orange zones uh, when the MFIs were uh, told to operate uh, um, certain kind of liquidity certain kind of collection started happening from the rural area and semi-rural area urban areas remains a challenging situation at this point of time um, as uh, I think Sanjay has already touched upon that. On the uh, uh, on the on the on the behavior, if you said uh, uh, what I want to add, uh, 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 what Sanjayji has added uh, is to say that the MFIs at this point of time are very closely having a relationship with the borrower, and they understand the pain the borrower is having in all segments uh, in all areas. Hence, um, uh, the MFIs are able to take a very calculative approach uh, to uh, to whom should uh, the monitoring should be given uh, and whom the monitoring should not be given based on the cash flow of the borrower. And uh, what we are hearing, uh, uh, what we what we understand from the marketplace, uh, speaking to different sources, is that uh, 50, 40 to 50 percent of the borrowers are looking for moratorium at this point of time. That was uh, till last week. That may change uh, going forward because um, the, some kind of activity started happening in the semi-urban and urban area also. But uh, on the moratorium side, uh, from the MFI's perspective, it has been well educated at this point of time. Sure, so sure. So in this collection efficiency thing, because so May was uh, April, May was almost negligible, and from that base, it is increasing to 50, 60 percent. Uh, but even if it tapers down to 80 to 90 percent, there is a huge loss that MFIs will get. Uh, I think until the collection efficiency improves to 95 percent plus, uh, there is uh, there is will be a still a huge loss that uh, MFIs will have to incur in terms of credit loss. So, do you think uh, uh, we will see uh, this collection efficiency increasing to 95 percent plus, and, uh, uh, and 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 at what time period it can increase to that level? Yeah, so I mean there will have to be uh, collection efficiency will improve gradually. <coughs> Excuse me. Collection efficiency will improve gradually. 95% uh, by the end of August, I very much doubt. Um, I would say uh, if it improves to that level by uh, the end of uh, November or December, uh, that is a much more realistic expectation. Uh, by the end of August, it's possible that it will reach 80%, but even that is dependent on 
uh, MFIs having disbursement funds. If due to the lockdown they have been so depleted of funds that they are not able to disburse to people to revive their businesses, then that will also become a problem. So this is something that all investors and lenders have to keep in mind. Disbursement funds have to be available to MFIs if we want their borrowers to be able to rebuild their lives and thereby to repay their loans. Sure, sure, sure. sure. And uh, with respect to the disbursement, uh, uh, how do you see whether MFIs have uh, avenues to fund these incremental disbursement? Uh, and uh, how uh, one should differentiate between these emergency loans and evergreening? Because there could be an line between giving emergency loans and then showing your uh, good good collection efficiency uh, versus not giving the emergency loans. Yeah, so I don't know whether Sureer has a different view on this, but distinguishing between emergency loans and evergreening is an impossible task. Uh, you know, um, we're talking about millions of people, but even for, uh, you know, for large MFIs, they're serving two, three million clients. Um, to expect loan officers at the field level to determine each person's cash flow and so on, it's a very, very difficult task. So I don't think that uh, that distinction uh, can be made at this point in time. But let's be clear, you know, we, we have imposed a situation on the economy where people need to rebuild their lives. If we don't provide them with that funding, and I'm afraid the government of India has been highly remiss in this matter by not providing even, you know, 5,000 rupees a month in the Jandan Yojana account so that people could at least continue their lives without um, depleting their, their savings level. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've got a serious problem. Funds are going to be needed. Funds will have to be disbursed by MFIs, and that money has to come from investors and from the banking system. Investors over the years have put quite a lot of uh, commitment into MFIs. This is the time to show that they are really committed to low-income families. They have to provide the equity, which will help, which will back up the raising of further loan funds. But money has to flow into the system, and we cannot expect the system to respond without that money flowing in. Uh, yeah, so also, also let me add something. Uh, all this issue of the collection efficiency improving gradually has been taken into account in my analysis. So, so the second version of liquidity in lockdown, which was only published day before yesterday, um, uh, has uh, all those has uh, taken all those factors into account? Yeah, Nidesh, I want to add uh, what Sandeep has said. Uh, to further, uh, you know, uh, we are looking at evergreening or top-up loan or you know emergency loan. The credit bureau data on ground is becoming robust day by day, and uh, the MFIs uh, under the various code of conduct uh, uh, um, guidance guidelines uh, uh, issued by the uh, self-regulatory SROs are following these guidelines. 
and it is being monitored on an on an it was monitored uh, maybe around weekly basis and uh, now it is going to happening on an on an on a daily basis now uh, as sandeep mentioned we don't foresee that thing happening but as uh, sandeep was mentioning that what is required is disbursement start kicking up um we uh, i had couple of interactions with uh, the mfis across the board in the recent past uh disbursements have started kicking up uh, on ground but that have that is happening from the large and mid size mfis large mfis uh, historically if you see these mfis keep uh, uh, cash uh, in bank at, uh, at at a higher level as of march every year and they this get supported during april may june and they were able to do that this year successfully because the lockdown started happening last week of uh, march something like that but uh, large enterprises are having that surplus so they are looking at it nbfcs are now looking at supporting uh, the mid size mfis uh, maybe 100 basis point on a higher cost but they are looking at disbursements to kick up uh, from uh, the mid and small size mfis and that you can see some kind of disbursement increasing disbursement happening if things other things remain cost constant on ground when you see other things remain constant on ground it uh, also uh, pertains to the number of covid cases increasing in india on a multiple fold uh, all the cities that is being contained we can see disbursement start happening on ground it has already started but it can happen at a much faster pace so uh, uh, banks important for uh, the microfinance sector uh, uh, investors uh, important for the microfinance sector to disbursement to kick off as sanjay was mentioning and uh, uh, the large mfis and mid size mfis uh, the borrowers are coming forward and asking for uh, money the migrant workers to be very precise the migrant workers are the new set of borrowers whom the microfinance uh, uh, institution can tap based on their credit history so you can see some kind of green shoots uh, happening there thanks thanks sir and sir uh, this last one point on this uh, historically we have seen uh, whenever the conduct from the mfis and conduct from the customers uh, was bad uh, where uh, mfis have, in, uh, have in, uh, engaged in coercive recovery practices and uh, there was a, uh, a sort of mass default from from customers or mass non cooperation from customers only then the sector has seen high default rates or high credit losses in most of the other uh, events like floods or other natural calamities the sector has not been impacted materially so are you seeing any signs of uh, 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 mass non cooperation from customers or political interference in the sector in any geography which uh, which uh, should worry us at this point at this point in time yeah for the rest one of the expressions that i use in my in in the uh, second version of liquidity in lockdown is that of a micro lending value chain so the value chain um, uh, begins uh, with the government so the government and the rbi at the top is uh, hopefully the the people who determine the uh, economic environment and then the development banks nabard should be uh the uh, commercial banks who lend to mfis uh and then um, in um, uh, meso organizations uh, large mbfcs that that's what it was 
talking about, and then the money filtering down through MFIs to individual clients. Uh, the entire system has to respond and respond in a sympathetic manner. Otherwise, yes, you will get coercive recovery practices. For instance, if the banks say, no, no, we're not going to give you any more money, what will the MFI do? Probably, at least at the field level, because there's pressure on targets from above, uh, the individual loan officer may indulge in, recovery, in coercive recovery practices. But can we blame anybody at the bottom of the value chain if the top of the value chain is not cooperating? This is the question. And I fear that the real problem at the moment is the top of the value chain, not the bottom. That's what we have to fix. The policy has to be fixed. Uh, the, the RBI has, has given a, a, a lot of liquidity. But are the banks willing to lend? The banks are worried about their own NPL. So they will say, no, 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 or NPL ho jayega. And the, the other problem with this whole thing is that instead of money going, going direct to people, what we're doing is we're waiting for money to filter through this value chain. It's going to take three months just for that to happen. People need money now. They don't need it in three months' time. So, you know, all these issues of coercive recovery practices and so on have to be seen in a certain context. And the system has to respond before, before anything can happen. Let me address another issue uh, while we can. Um, this, this question of what will the power levels or NPL levels of MFIs look like in, in three months' time. I can guarantee you the average power in the industry will be about 20%, easily. Maybe even more in three months' time, but by the end of the year, let's say December, it may be about 20%. By March, it may come down, provided the system responds, it may come down to about 15%. Just look at the data of what happened after demonetization. Demonetization resulted in March 2017, which is five months after de demonetization, in an average power level of 14% across the country, 14%, okay? And it took three years to recover from that. You can be completely confident that it will be at at least that level in, in March 21, and possibly even higher. But that is if the system responds. If the system fails to re respond, we are looking at a disaster. And at the moment, we are not seeing either the development banks or the commercial banks being very cooperative in this matter. No. No. So this is something that needs to be addressed. Nidesh, I just want to add what Sanjay said. Sure, okay. sure. This is coming from ground, okay? The MFIs, the larger MFIs are able to get uh, the kind of, based on their relationship and other exposure from the banking system, the monitorium for their portfolio. But the mid and small MFIs from the same bank is not being provided. So, so what Sanjayji is saying is that the value chain from the top has to change. And I, uh, what I will also uh, add here is that the coercive practices uh, uh, is being pushed uh, uh, by certain segments on the top, but the microfinance institutions over the over the period of time uh, post uh, you know EP crisis, this is the segment which 
I have personally monitored over so many years that this is the this is the sector which has been able to adapt best practices on ground. Now, why I'm saying that is if if you're looking at uh, coercive practices uh, to happen on ground, I am killing the relationship with the borrower. Now, today, what is happening is that most of the MFIs, why it is touch-based model? Touch-based model because I'm maintaining a solid relationship with the borrower, and hence I am able to uh, maintain the kind of asset quality at, at the ground level. And this is what is what Sanjay was mentioning about the DFIs and the larger uh, banking financial uh, bank financial institutions. Uh, tend to see that the mid and small MFIs will not be able to pay me the installments on a regular basis since the monitoring is not provided for them. So the challenge remains from the top level. Uh, I, we, uh, I personally don't see uh, uh, some kind of some kind of instance can happen, but personally don't see that happening on ground from the MFI side. Sure. So, so, so basically the question was, uh, basically, the question was that: uh, Are you seeing any signs of political intervention in the sector? Because in demonetization, what we have seen that in geographies where there was a political intervention, the credit loss was significantly higher versus the other geographies. So, are we seeing any signs of political intervention in the sector as of now, speaking to the MFIs on the ground? With uh, political intervention, we know our country very well. Political intervention is related to the proximity of the next election. Okay. Uh, thankfully, over the, over the past two years, uh, there has been a, a, a huge round of state-level elections. So I don't know whether there are any state elections due in the near future, but I think political intervention will occur when a state election is six to eight months away, maybe one year away. That's when political intervention will occur. Those are the states you have to worry about. Sure, sir, sure, sure. And the coming to our uh, next next uh, area of discussion, uh, microfinance has been a very high-touch model uh, where customers and loan officers interact on a regular basis, and that makes collection efficiency very, very high in the, in the business model. With COVID-19 uh, and social distancing norms, uh, that has changed the recovery practices uh, in the last two months. Uh, do you see some structural changes in the model, or uh, again, this model will revert back to its uh, original uh, collection methodology uh, probably two years down the line or one year down the line? Okay, I'd like uh, Sudhir, I'd request Sudhir to uh, respond first to this question, and then if I have something to add. Okay, so uh, uh, this digital touch is uh, uh, just specifically coming on to that. The digital touch base mechanism is been on ground for a couple of years now in India. Um, recently, we have seen that most of the MFIs, the largest and the mid-sized MFIs, are looking at uh, digit, uh, digital-based collections on ground. What the sense which we are getting from the larger MFIs who are able to successfully implement with uh, various partnership and collaboration with various uh, mobile wallet players is that the collection for that particular uh, institution is somewhere between 35 to 40 percent range. The larger, uh, the uh, even the larger MFIs are looking at collaborations with um, uh, telecom companies uh, for uh, for digital collection. Now, on your digital base, whether that will change, Indian markets, if you look at rural population, still uh, uh, goes with the, uh, uh, the handset, which is not, uh, you know, uh, what's a uh, touch-based 
mobiles. They have the, yeah, the old the old feature phone. Yeah, they have feature phones, right? So uh, uh, during our interaction with the borrowers, yes, they feel that uh, it helps us a lot. It helps us a lot. Uh, uh, but um, my personal feeling is that it will take some more time in Indian markets to look at uh, completely happening digital on the urban urban space. Urban space will go digital first, and then semi-urban, and then rural. But the touch base has to be there on ground uh, because that's the relationship which the MFIs have built up over a period of time. So it will be a digital touch kind of approach than a digital approach. Is that uh, COVID-19 is a global event? Microfinance uh, is present in many countries. And uh, are there any learnings or any trends uh, which we can apply to India, uh, which we have in terms of collection or customer behavior? Yeah, so as in many things, uh, because uh, uh, India is such a large country and unfortunately still uh, in terms of per capita income, still a relatively poor country, um, uh, we tend to lead the world in many things. And uh, we, um, it was the wisdom of our government that we should lead the rest of the developing world in the matter of the lockdown as well. So uh, the lockdown having happened in India first, um, the experiences of India are actually leading other countries, and other countries are lagging in terms of the experiences in terms of microfinance also. Okay, so what uh, all I can tell you is that other countries that we know about, uh, Nepal, Cambodia, Myanmar, Indonesia, and so on, None of those countries have locked down as severely and as strictly as India. And as a result, uh, microfinance is operating much better there than it is uh, in our own country. Um, uh, th there are, of course, uh, there is a slowdown in collections, but it's not, uh, not to the extent uh, that we are seeing in India. Uh, as I said um, uh, earlier to you yesterday, uh, I think the experiences of other countries will take a little more time to work through work through the system. Uh, so maybe if uh, we hold another discussion of this type in one month or six weeks' time, uh, there will be more to say. Hi, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I have a few questions. So uh, firstly, you know, you alluded to the fact that uh, a large part of the borrower base would require top-up or emergency sort of loans to restart their businesses. But uh, just, just as a counter view, you know, any uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence suggests that uh, the balance in the PMJDY accounts have actually not fallen during the lockdown. And additionally, you know, if we compare this this lockdown to any of the natural calamities that have hit the sector earlier, there has been no destruction in terms of you know physical destruction of the uh, of of property or business areas of the of the. So would would a large part of the borrowers actually require this additional liquidity? Uh, that is something I'm trying to understand. Uh, well, two things. Um, one is physical destruction. I don't know where the physical destruction issue is coming from. Uh, so, uh, what I was referring to was that uh, generally during a natural calamity, if there's a flood or a cyclone or anything of that sort, typically that's when the losses go up in that particular area and Typically, it happens because you know they've lost their shop or lost their homes, which has not happened in this case. 
that is what i was yeah. uh, alluding to yeah but when the economy is at a low ebb uh the earnings of individual micro enterprises also go down um stocks run down which need to be replenished that's really what i'm talking about replenishment of stocks uh, uh, uh talking about the restarting of of other businesses uh, people may not i will i will come to the um, jandhan yojana issue in a moment but people may not have have withdrawn from the jandhan yojana account but whatever money uh, they had at home has probably been spent so i'm talking about replenishment of working capital not about destruction of of property okay uh, the second thing is i really don't know where the anecdotal evidence about the jandhan yojana is coming from the overall uh, holding levels in jandhan yojana accounts are very low in any case so how those could necessarily decline i don't know okay that is uh, basically what happens basically what happens with jandhan yojana accounts is that uh, the various cash benefit transfers of the government are deposited and we know that a typical jandhan yojana account the average number of transactions is 3 or 4 in a year okay so uh, you know once the cash benefit is deposited in their account people go and withdraw it and that's the end of the matter the jandhan yojana accounts unfortunately up to this point in time have not become like a like a savings account that you and i may operate they the people uh, just just don't use their bank accounts in that way for for their daily turnover of cash is money under the pillow okay you okay. pranav just to add uh, what sanjay ji said uh, if you look at the borrowers who are opted for moratorium you see around 30% on an on an at a very low uh, base Uh, or, or say around 30 to 40 percent of a low base. Now uh, these are the borrowers who have either migrated uh, to their hometown. These are not the rural population. The rural population. What we are hearing is that the rural population uh, is able to uh, provide the requirements because most of them are on the essential commodities uh, uh, right. service providers, right? Now what is happening in urban areas is that um, uh, the street vendors who are dependent on daily kind of income and some kind of inventory. they purchase on a daily basis uh, they provide uh, uh, various you know street vendors kind of activity these are the people whom uh, who uh, where they have opted uh, uh, for this kind of only because we had a detailed we had the discussions with the borrowers when we were doing couple of assignments um, uh, a couple of days back and they were clearly saying that our income stream which we were looking at is now stuck if we are able to go back and we have to start again we need some kind of funding Okay. So it is required on ground at this point of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on uh, you know. So typically, if we look at an MFI borrower, especially you know the. Uh, so basically, what I'm trying to understand is this: this kind of borrower is typically credit hungry, right? Uh, they require credit on a regular basis, uh, as and when they repay their uh, previous loans. would this this inherent aspect of the industry be helpful in terms of getting repayments faster uh, once cash flows normalize because borrowers now know that unless 
their old loans are regularized or paid back getting new loans would be difficult i mean emergency loans they would still get but that would still be much smaller ticket sizes would this factor be uh, in the you know the inherent nature of this this business would help in terms of repayments when you compare it to other loans yeah you know you have to look at the historical experience uh, we had the andhra crisis there was a slowdown in the microfinance economy at that time we had demonetization in uh, 2016 17 um, uh, we had a slowdown in microfinance at that time and now we've got uh, this uh, lockdown but from both of those experiences you can see two things one is that um, many of the of the bad loans yes there was a significant amount of write off uh, one or two organizations that survived that crisis and are still functioning are still writing off some of the loans from the andhra crisis but what you need to keep in mind is that not all the loans were written, had to be written off many people did recover their businesses right. many people did repay over time and that improvement in 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 the par level uh, i have i have tracked it over over many years um you can see a small graph in in the latest version of uh, liquidity in in lockdown which shows the repayment the par behavior the par levels uh, after demonetization and how those have gone down i would expect something similar to happen this time what i would uh, uh, very much hope is that the peak of of the par is not much higher this time than it was after demonetization um so i i think uh, people do recover their lives but you have to give them time if you don't give them time if you don't give give the mfis time to recover their businesses uh, and if you think that if we give them more money they will collapse then you will bring about exactly the outcome which you want to avoid which is that by not giving them money you will force them to collapse right right uh right so and uh, just just lastly uh, wanted to understand your perspective on uh, on how the system could help the nfi sector so while we understand that you know capital might be required and investors might be able to might might require to put that in uh, while you know banks have to extend the moratorium uh, and uh, you know unconditionally to all nfis not just to large nfis what would you expect from the regulators and uh, what could they do or or what are the top 2 3 things which which could help uh, tide you know this issue for the entire sector as a whole what what can the regulator do in this regard in your opinion uh well you know as far as i am aware the regulator uh, meaning the rbi has already yeah. done quite a lot uh, so the problem is not the, li- the liquidity uh the problem is not the liquidity in the system at this point in time the problem is at the um wholesale lender level um they worry the commercial banks the uh, development finance institutions uh, worry about um, um uh, whether their own loans will go bad it's it's a bit, you know i'm i'm reminded about the 2008 financial crisis the response to the 2008 financial crisis i think it was september 2008 for a whole week 
public sector banks were not lending to each other. And the, the, the thinking in their minds was, what happens if he collapses and my money will get stuck? Because they, were, um, they had stopped the entire circulation of funds, it posed an enormous risk to the whole system. And the RBI had to step in and say, look, <laughs> you're absolutely crazy. You, you have the same owner, which is the government of India, and you're not lending to each other. Yeah? So um, that's the kind of situation I'm afraid of uh, is, is likely to, to develop. If he goes under, what happens to my money? Then the next one says, I won't give it to this particular, to small MFIs. If they go under, what happens to my money? What about the money that you've already invested in those institutions? What about that? If you don't put a little more money in, all of it will go, will go down the drain. Okay, so I, it's not the regulator as such. It's an attitudinal problem, and uh, maybe uh, uh, what, you're, what you're suggesting is that the, the regulator needs to step in, but it's not specific measures. It's persuading people to move money along the, along the value chain. What we have seen uh, in the credit cycle on the corporate uh, front, many banks colluded to kind of hide NPLs by giving loans uh, for, uh, against the interest which was receivable. Uh, do you think such collusion is possible in a microfinance setup where many microfinance entities collude, uh, give lend uh, lend uh, to customer of another microfinance so that can be repaid to that other microfinance customer and this cycle uh, continues till something like this is either demon or uh, the current scenario? Uh, well, you know, uh, collusion is, is always a possibility. Uh, every economic situation, every economic crisis, uh, there will be people who, um, you know, there'll be fraudsters around. There'll be there'll there'll be people who will um, uh, try to manipulate the system to their own advantage. Uh, none of that can be can be ruled out. But one point that I think we do need to keep in mind is that this is a major economic crisis. In here in the UK, uh, where I am at the moment, um, uh, people are saying we haven't seen this type of economic crisis for 300 years, right? This sort of dire economic situation, worrying about a few people making money um, in underhand ways, uh, that's, that's not our, should not be our concern for now. We've got to get the system sorted out. Let's worry about collusion when the economy is back on track, not right now. Uh, yeah, um, maybe my question was taken out of context. What I meant was the numbers of low NPL, et cetera, we see uh, in microfinance in good times. How much of it is on account of collusion? Low NPAs and microfinance in good times? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think um, uh, NPAs are a little bit suppressed, um, but I don't have any sense of it being suppressed because of MFIs colluding with each other. I think sometimes their internal systems are geared to minimizing the reporting of NPAs, yes. 
uh, that does happen uh, in the past when we have undertaken undertaken ratings of uh, organizations with very low NPAs. Uh, um, we have discounted those numbers uh, because sometimes um, it could be that um, the senior management <coughs> is being um, doesn't have a good handle on what's happening in the field, or it could be that there is a culture in an organization of minimizing the reporting of NPAs. But in either case, yes, unfortunately it does happen. Um, but it's not in good times, it's not a huge problem. I would say that the 1% or less than 1% that people have been reporting uh, uh, in terms of portfolio at risk should perhaps have been more at more like 2 or 3%. But even a two or three percent power is not uh, is not dangerous in any way. Uh, why people insist on reporting such low NPAs is something that is uh, that I don't uh, I don't understand because a more honest approach to uh, to to it would enable them to handle their organization better at all times. And the final question from my side: There has been a divergence in ticket size of. Some of the banks, uh, MFIs, uh, and uh, some of the pure NBHC MFIs, uh, and uh, presumably both of them are lending to similar set of customers. So, uh, can there be uh, uh, any um, economic justification for such divergence uh, in ticket size, as high as one lakh? Uh, someone is lending, and some are lending at thirty thousand, twenty thousand. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's it's really a question of um, uh, how much uh, money uh, uh, an in, uh, an individual institution feels comfortable giving to an individual borrower. Okay, it's not so much how much uh, you know uh, to what extent has the borrower um, to what extent is the borrower indebted. That's not the issue. It's just, uh, let's say, microfinance and BSC. If the ticket size, if the average ticket size of their uh, loans, average disbursement, is 30,000, it's not because their assessment is that the borrower can only handle 30,000 rupees. It's because their assessment is that this is the extent to which we want to take risk on any one individual borrower. Nowadays, uh, you know, um, a buffalo in northern India costs 60,000 rupees. What is the point of a 30,000 rupee loan? Everybody knows that the guy is borrowing from two or three different sources, or the, or the woman is borrowing from several sources. The ticket size is just how much risk am I willing to take on an individual borrower, that's all. It's not, it's not the economic logic that this is the amount of money my borrower needs from an individual lender. Nobody needs, needs less than one lakh rupees in today's world. Thank you, sir. That's it. Yeah, Amit, Amit, I just want to add, uh, Sanjayji, what Sanjayji has said. Uh, for your two last two questions on the one on the asset quality side, uh, uh, what we have, what Sanjayji was mentioning, and what uh, we have been looking at. Uh, historically is that uh, the power levels on it, on that particular day 
maybe around less than one percent or one uh, or two percent and high. If you look at a lag basis, it will reach out to the number what in the viewers mentioned. And I'm seeing lag basis. You look at three months lag basis or six months lag basis. You will look at the number what you're looking at. So the more faster you run the portfolio, the lower the numbers of par, right? So that's one. Uh, that's on the par. Now second on the thirty thousand reserve is one lakh. Um, we have been interacting on various assignments. We have been interacting with the borrowers. We have been interacting with the with the microfinance institutions, and the microfinance institutions have kept their uh, you know uh, ticket size on a lower side because either these institutions are uh, having uh, the relationship with the borrower for the first time, and it's a very clear-cut late policy by the microfinance institution saying that if a first-time borrower, I will not pay more than thirty thousand rupees. Okay, so Sanjay has given us experience of Buffalo. If that is the case, then they have to uh, uh, depend on uh, other sources to get it. Now, Visa is a uh, a banker or an NBFC looking at one lakh uh, because uh, when we look at these profiles, we definitely see that the appetite of these borrowers is much more, and MFIs on ground uh, because of their stringent risk management processes not to lend beyond 30000 25000 or 40000 for first time borrowers that comes into picture so uh, that's uh, uh, that's broadly is what happening on ground if you are looking at differentiation between 1 lakh and 30000 rupees uh, on that part sorry i'm getting more yeah. time uh, uh, there are many MFIs uh, who claim, or my, my NBFC MFIs or small finance bank, who claim their repeat customer is pretty low. And there are another set of MFIs who claim their repeat customer is uh, very high. Yeah. Which is a better model? Uh, Which is a better model? Uh, Sanjay ji? No, sir. Okay. So I feel uh, so. What what we have looked at is that uh, yes, if a new borrower is coming, definitely an MFI needs to look at the vintage of the borrower, and uh, the seasoning of the portfolio is important for that uh, particular uh, MFIs to look at it. Uh, if a repeat borrower is happening, so what happens is that when when we are looking at an analysis, we look at first time, second time, third time, fourth time cycle borrowers, and if uh, or a fourth fifth cycle borrowers is uh, increasing. That's a good sign that the borrower is sticking to a particular institution, and it has to do with certain uh, relationship with the institution. So, uh, in the recent past or for the last couple of years, we have seen that new set of borrowers getting added, uh, but we have not seen any asset called challenges with the new set of borrowers. But yes, we have kept. Uh, we have been very, uh, uh, we are very what to say. Uh, Keeping our eyes open and seeing that how the new set of borrowers is behaving. If you look at the credit bureau data, um, which is uh, now three or four credit bureau data are there, which uh, the new set of borrowers are, are behaving in a very, uh, you know, in a in a very decent manner. So uh, both approaches are uh, because uh, both approaches are fine because the the larger institution has to diversify. They are looking at uh, new areas. They are working with uh, credit bureaus and looking at the areas where they want to grow. That's yeah, so by, yeah, by and large, it's 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 better if uh, clients stay with an individual individual organization uh, because uh, a relationship develops, yeah. and um, and and that makes it easier to assess their uh, loan requirements and so on. Uh, but Nowadays, um, uh, microfinance has become so common in both urban and rural areas 
so amongst a certain segment of the population if the customers switch from one organization to from one lender to another it's not so much that that the new organization the, the new lender will have to train them into understanding microfinance because they already know all the rules it's just uh, uh, sometimes they they do it because they see some advantage because the neighbor is borrowing from a particular organization and she says you know that they don't expect you to go uh, go to their branch every week or uh, some other um, um issue of that type you know uh, where the where the transaction cost to the borrower may be a little bit lower the time cost may be a little bit lower those are the reasons why people will move from one organization to another you mentioned that you expect a par of uh, you know around 15% and then going up to around 20% and then going down to 15% by end of the financial year um uh, so this was pertaining more to larger uh, nfis focused on rural areas what could be your expectation of par in those cases so by these mfis i mean aum where 5000 crore plus yeah so i was talking about par across the whole system uh it's it's difficult to say i i suspect as usual that uh, those who are operating in the southern states will have lower pars and those operating in the northern states will have higher par this is the way things things go unfortunately uh, the the economy is better organized in the south uh, the um there's um uh, there are more positive attitudinal factors in the southern part of the country than there are in the north uh, so all of those factors will will affect uh, affect par so there will be regional differences and uh, um uh, inter mfi differences will depend partly on which regions they uh, their their operations are focused on so i think that's something to to keep in mind understood and this during this moratorium period i think a lot of customers have not paid uh, you know in the in april as well as may uh, and of course some part of it will not be paid in june as well so uh, from the mfi angle you know because these are emis these are adding getting added to your tenure uh, of uh, because the emi will remain the same but your interest component will increase so you know what do you expect here i mean generally uh, in terms of previous crisis have you seen people paying off ultimately those loans which or those emis which they have skipped by increasing the tenure of the loan or you know what has been the experience in the other crisis as to how these people have responded uh, for the emis that they have missed Uh, well i i believe um, you know that that was the demonetization example that i was taking i i believe uh, uh, large proportions of nfi borrowers uh, have been able to um, uh, improve their um, repayment rate so over time but they have to be given time that was the point that i was making earlier uh, uh, so these um, you'd like to add yeah so uh... Sarvesh, what I want to say is, uh, MFIs on ground are uh, much more responsible. Uh, if you look at uh, last couple of years back, uh, Andhra Pradesh crisis, or you look at uh, 
uh, demand. So uh, the MFIs were able to educate the borrowers, uh, understand the borrower's problem, and then start looking at uh, how they want to tide over this kind of crisis. Uh, the sense what we are getting from ground, uh, uh, not only from the rural population, from all across, is that um, uh, September would be a month to watch because uh, uh, the current moratorium period ends in August 31st and uh, uh, some kind of government is working on some kind of student vendor program, uh, loan program, something like that. Now, September would be wait and watch for us, but um, MFIs on the rural side have a collection of around 50 to 60%. On the urban side, the collections slowly started picking up uh, as I speak. Uh, uh, so, uh, what I want to conclude stating is that uh, responsible uh, behavior has been adopted by the MFIs in educating these clients. And the uh, MFIs is aware that uh, maybe 40-50% of the borrowers will not be able to pay, and then we need to see how we want to tide over the crisis uh, uh, during September, October, November. Okay, and because the extent of the crisis is largely dependent on the response from the top, which means uh, you know RBI as well as banks making sure that liquidity is available to these uh, microfinance firms. So in general, if you would have spoken to some of the larger uh, NFIs, what is the sense you are getting? Are they happy with the response from the system? I'm talking about the larger NFIs again. And uh, if not, then what are the problems that they are facing right now? Uh, well, everybody is busy managing their, their liquidity. No, nobody is happy with what's happening. Um, in fact, uh, based on this uh, uh, liquidity in lockdown uh, uh, advisory note uh, that we produced at MCRIL. Um, I've been trying to organize a, a webinar to discuss some of these liquidity issues. While MFIs and their representatives are willing to participate in the, in the webinar, we are finding that the banking system is uh, pleading that they are too, too busy to part participate in a one-hour webinar. Uh, to me, that doesn't mean that they're too busy. All it means is that they don't want to come onto a public forum and make any commitments. That's the problem. Understood. So it is below expectation uh, in terms of the... Very much, below, even very much below expectation. Even for the larger MFIs? Yeah, yeah, even for the larger MFIs. Everybody is having difficulty. Just to follow up on one clarification on PAR, when you are saying PAR, is PAR 1 or PAR 30, PAR 90? PAR 30. We have discussed the group lending uh, issues, group lending. Lot of MFIs and SSBs have moved towards individual lending in last 3-4 uh, years. Hmm. Uh, if you can share some insight there, how are the trends in terms of collections? Are they uh, behaving better than group loans or they are behaving in line with group loans? So that would be useful, sir. So, so Nidesh, uh, the larger or the mid-size MFIs who are looking at an individual loan uh, uh, as per the RBI guidelines of qualifying non-qualifying assets, we have not seen uh, uh, disparity in terms of collection um, between a group lending mechanism and individual lending mechanism. 
individual lending mechanism, yes, the stress is more because the ticket size is more and we can see a, a par level a tad higher than what you can see, what you can see on the group loan side. But um, on the servicing, uh, on the clientele, on an overall portfolio, uh, it is, uh, it is uh, performing very well on ground. And hence, uh, uh, I don't know how many MFIs will be able to do that going forward. Uh, uh, last year when I was speaking to them and they were saying that they are looking at an SME portfolio or an individual loan portfolio to grow multifold uh, they are, uh, after 2021 or during 2021. Now I think uh, these institutions will be at a consolidating phase uh, uh, given the uh, challenges uh, what, we are, what currently we are facing. But on the, on the asset quality side, a tad higher on the individual, uh, on the individual loan segment uh but not alarming is there a relationship you have you seen in terms of collection with ticket size that the larger ticket size customer because their emis are higher they are opting for uh, more percentage of customers are opting for moratorium or they are facing higher difficulties in terms of repayment versus the small ticket size customers when we have spoken to customers on individual loan side on the group as well as uh, on the group as well as uh, individual loan side Urban guys, urban urban borrowers are facing challenges. Rural no. Sure, sure. So it's it's more from a geographical standpoint rather than it's, yes, it's more from a geographical standpoint because uh, uh, what what we are aware is that rural there are multiple sources of income coming into uh, uh, coming into them as a family. Urban these challenges are there maybe because of the you know migration, uh, the income, the the only. A source of income which is not happening now, or there are lockdowns, layoffs happening on the on the daily wages side, or things like that has some kind of impact on the individual loan side, on the other side, as well as on the group side. Sure, sir, sure. So that's that's it from our side. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks and a lot. Uh, uh, thanks for inviting us. Uh,